Last week, as we continued with our study of that big portion of Luke's gospel that he's devoted to telling us, talking to us about what it looks like or what it means to follow Jesus, we came last week to the inescapable conclusion that following Jesus means learning how to live this day, the one that we have right here, right now, in light of that great and final day. And we talked about the great and final day and said what it was. The great and final day is the great and final day of Jesus' return. And so we we visited with the idea that, you know what, the invisible God of the universe in the person of Jesus Christ, has clothed himself in our humanity, entered into this world as one of us, and he did that, by the way, in fulfillment of promise after promise after promise after promise after promise after promise after promise that he would, and one of the things that he did while he was here was make promise after promise after promise after promise and so forth, that he would do it again. History is going somewhere, life is going somewhere, and Jesus will return. And we talked about the fact that that will be a great and final day for, for the followers of Jesus. And why is that? Well, among other things, because it will be the day of our vindication. It will be the day upon which finally our lives are justified. All of the things that looked crazy to the world, and at times to us too, that we did for the sake of Jesus will not look crazy then. All of our sufferings, all of the rejection, all of the sacrifices, all of the ways that we've laid our lives down in obedience to the Holy Spirit, in obedience to the Word of God, as a sacrifice of praise, really, to the living God whom we believe will come again, well, He will come again, and it won't be so crazy in that day. Indeed, it will be infinitely and eternally rewarded. We are to live this day in light of that day, and that day that informs this day, man, it's going to be a great and final day for the people of God. But we also said, little uncomfortable moment, that it's going to be a great and final day in a very different kind of way for those who do not believe in Jesus. And I want to pause and go, you know what? That ought to affect the way that we live today too. We're living today in light of that day. So, following Jesus means learning how to live today in light of that day, even, as we saw last week, if that costs you your life. And today, as we'll see, even if that costs you your money. And honestly, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, that's probably the more threatening of the two, at least for Americans. Seriously. I mean, if you're living over in the Middle East or something, and you're a Christian, and you're one of these countries that's being overrun by ISIS or whatnot... All right, the life one, we're nervous. And we're nervous for them from here. And we pray, I hope, for them from here. But honestly, last week, you weren't walking out of here sweating, going, oh, good grief, I hope this afternoon nobody causes me to choose between denying Jesus and losing my life. And it... But money's a different topic. It's a different issue. And here's what it requires, guys. I mean, if we're going to live today in light of the last day in regards to our finances, here's what that's going to require. It's going to require us to learn to trust God and not our money for the security that we need both in this day and in the last one too. So we pick up our study today in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, picking up right where we left off last week, where Luke tells us this. He says that as Jesus was teaching, get this now, someone, meaning one single solitary guy in the great, big, huge, enormous crowd that Jesus was teaching to, which as we saw last week, numbered in the tens of thousands. Do you remember that? They were literally, Luke says, trampling one another. Okay, one guy... 
out of this crowd of tens of thousands, interrupts Jesus' sermon to this crowd of tens of thousands, and he brings up a matter that has nothing to do with Jesus or any of the other tens of thousands. So how popular do you think this was? What kind of nerve did this guy have to fight his way through the crowd and interrupt Jesus while everybody else is going, hey, bud, you know what? This is your issue. Man, don't take my time up with this. This is an anxious guy. This is a driven guy. He interrupts Jesus and he said to him, teacher, and now here's the issue. You ready? Tell my brother, which is almost certainly a reference to his oldest brother, tell my brother to divide the inheritance that our father has just died and left behind to us with me. And I say that it's almost certainly a reference to his oldest brother because that's the way that it worked in those families in that day. So the father of the family, the patriarch dies, who replaces him? The oldest son. And the oldest son, as his replacement, gets a double portion of the inheritance, twice as much as anyone else. He assumes command of the family, the distribution of the assets of the estate. And apparently the older brother, at least allegedly here, has withheld what rightfully belongs to his younger brother. And this guy is so anxious about it that he fights his way through the crowd. He doesn't care how many people are there. He doesn't care what Jesus is talking about. He wants what? Because here's what you want to say, justice. And it's the wrong answer. What's made him so anxious is not his quest for justice. It's not his righteous indignation over the fact that his brother has stuck it to him in regards to his inheritance. And now what? And who's going to help me? That's not it. We're going to see in a second. That's just a mask. That's the wrapping paper that the real issue is wrapped very nicely and tightly in and, you know, with a little bow and the whole deal and it looks spiffy and all that stuff. And hey, here's the deal. This guy thinks it's justice. He himself is fooled by the mask, by the paper. He presents it as a cause for justice. It's not the issue at all. The issue with this guy is that he trusts money more than God, both for the security that he needs here and now and for the security that he's going to need somewhere down the road in the great and final day that comes for all of us. And Jesus, who sees what the real issue is, now exposes it. He says this, verse 14, so Jesus said to this man, man... Who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? He's saying, look, I'm not going to get involved in your family legal matters. But here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to deal with the problem, and he's going to deal with the problem publicly. Why is that? Because it's not just this guy's problem. This guy has raised a convenient topic for the Lord, and he realizes, hey, look, this isn't just an issue for him. It's an issue for pretty much everyone in this tens of thousands of crowd that's there on that day and pretty much all of us as well. It's something that all of us are subject to, that all of us fall victim to. And now Jesus is going to solemnly warn us about it. Listen to his warning. Jesus said to them, to the whole crowd, which includes this very anxious guy, he says, take care and be on your guard. Now, what does that imply? Vigilance, armor, Hey, man, you take the first watch of the night. You know, that means you stay awake, you stay alert, you're listening, you're looking, you're searching, you're armed, you're ready. Be on your guard. What are you guarding here? Your heart. Jesus is saying, look, be vigilant, take care, 
Be on your guard against, and here it is, all covetousness. And that word covetousness means literally to have more. So here's what he's referring to. He is referring to our insatiable desire for more, and then when we get that, 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 you get the point, for more, and then when we get that, for more, and more and more, because it's never enough. But what drives that need? What drives that mania? What drives us to sacrifice marriages, health, relationships, integrity, all of these things? in our futile attempts to satisfy our need for more. It's trusting in money as opposed to God for the security that you and I really do need in this life. Like we have actual needs, practical needs, bills to be paid, and so forth. But then also in the next one, and so Jesus comes to us and he says, look, take care, be on your guard, because if you're not, it's going right past you. If you're asleep, if you're not vigilant, if you're not watching out for this and constantly and continuously, you will fall victim to this. Be on your guard, take care against all covetousness, and here's why you have to do this. Because just like hypocrisy, which Jesus talked to us about last week, okay, covetousness too is virtually imperceptible. We we just, we don't see it. And it's imperceptible because it, it wears masks. It comes wrapped to us in something that looks righteous, like this guy's cry for justice, which really isn't the deal. And so what happens is we come to a sermon like this, you know, we hear a message like this, and Jesus says, take care, be vigilant, you know, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is for somebody else. Tom, I'm not covetous. I'm ambitious. Okay. And ambition is good. We all affirm that generally as a culture, do we not? I think we affirm unchecked ambition is good, and it's not. But ambition is good. Let's label it good. We'll put it over here. Tom, I'm not covetous. I'm just ambitious. Okay, well, good. Well, test that. Don't, go to, let, don't let that put you to sleep. Be vigilant with that. What are you ambitious for? Who are you ambitious for? Tom, I'm not covetous. I'm just driven. I thought about that one. I'm like overly driven. It's terrible. Honestly, like, you know, people call me and I answer the phone. Hey, what can I do for you? You know, because I just want to get to the point. If I've ever done that to you, I apologize. I guarantee I've done it to half of you. It's unbelievable. And I feel, I I say it and I feel myself do it and I go, golly, come on, you know. People are the project, but I'm working on a project. And I'm go, 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 go all the time, all the time. Oh, why are you so driven? What drives you? What motivates you? What compels you and moves you to stay up? And what do you stare at the ceiling about in the middle of the night? What are you passionate about? See, that's being vigilant. Hey, Tom, I'm, I'm not covetous. I'm, I'm just pursuing the American dream. Like, that's the unassailable goal of life. Like, we're going to get to heaven, and on the last and final day, the only one that in the end is going to really matter, Jesus is going to say, well, I'm going to infinitely reward you for this and for this and for this sacrifice. And hey, everybody, he also achieved the American dream. And the angels are going to sing some kind of a chorus to us for that. Seriously. But what I'm saying right now almost makes you mad, doesn't it? It's like we have created this immovable pillar in the midst of our culture, and of course this is good. Is that the goal of life? Is that what it's all about? Is that immovable? 
Listen, I hope that God lets you have the American dream. I'm not against that. I'm not. I hope that you enjoy the rewards of your labors, the blessings that he dispenses upon you. I wish it for you. So there you go. But not if it becomes your goal. Not if it's what you're ambitious for. Not if it's what drives you and wakes you up in the morning and keeps you up late at night. Not if that becomes the compelling purpose of your life. Hallelujah, I have achieved the American dream. I have acquired for myself stuff that I'm going to give away entirely when I die and that is destined for destruction in the end and forsaken what? All that I could have had for all of eternity. That's Jesus' message to us today, guys. Keep listening and you'll see it. It's not unclear. You're like, Tom, you know what? I'm not covetous. I'm just being responsible. Okay. And doesn't the Bible say I should be responsible? It talks about the ant and the rock badger and, you know, all of these industrious animals and it holds them up as examples and says you should store up for the seasons and all of that. Yes, absolutely. Without a doubt. But at some point, if you're not vigilant and asking the questions and laying this before the Lord, here's what happens. Being responsible is a lot more than just being responsible. So it's a difficult thing to see. It comes wrapped in righteous packaging. It wears masks, you see. It's virtually imperceptible for that reason, but then also it's virtually imperceptible because, look, I mean, there are always people around us that have so much more than we do, and so then we think to ourselves, well, good grief, you know, I mean, my desire for more can't possibly be covetousness, and yet you could have nothing and be covetous. You could have everything, comparatively speaking, and not be ruled by money, not be driven by money, not be ambitious by money, not be afflicted by this, degree, by this disease. It's not a matter of how much. It really isn't. It's a matter of your heart which you are to guard. And which, as we'll see in the end of this, is what the Lord wants. And so then Jesus says, verse 15, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, because A, it's virtually imperceptible, and B, he now continues, for one's life, and even more specifically, the security that one needs in this life, and, well, that, for that matter, in the next does not consist in what? In the abundance of his possessions, but rather that security is found only in the Lord God. And so now to make that point, he's going to tell us a story that speaks of the security that is ours on the great and final day and found only in him. And then he's going to follow it up with a whole bunch of teaching which speaks to our security here. And he's going to make it abundantly clear that our security in this day and on that one is found solely in our relationship to him as our heavenly father, as as our shepherd, as our king. Look at the images that he uses to speak of your relationship to him through faith in Jesus because he wants to envelop you in that security and free you from this disease and all of its effects. And so Jesus now told them a parable saying that the what? Because this is massively important. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Okay, so just to be clear, what produced plentifully? It was his... Yep, it was the land. It wasn't the man. That's kind of the point. So if you step out of that story for a minute, now you step into your story for a minute, let let me ask you and just ask yourself. All right. Who or what is it that produces plentifully in your story? Because here's what every single one of us, beginning with me, wants to say. Because it feels this way. It's how we experience it. 
We all want to say, well, I do. You know, I mean, like that would be me. Thank you very much. But Jesus is coming to us and saying, well, that may be how it feels. That may be the way you see it. That may be the way that you experience it, but that's not actually the way that it is. It's just, it's not. You want to argue with that and say, no, Lord, I I think actually it is the way that it is. And here's why. Because I'm the guy that studied. I'm the one who took risks. I'm the one who stayed up late and got up early. I'm the one that outworked everyone else. I'm the one that when all my friends were out spending all their cash all the time, I saved. I followed. I was like the ant and the rock badger and all that stuff. I applied that wisdom in my life. And, and so, you know, Lord, it's me. I'm the one. I'm the guy. And, and Jesus is like, nah, you're not reading the story very carefully. But I think it's important to say that in saying that the land of a rich man produced plentifully, Jesus isn't denying the efforts of the rich man. So like he's not coming along and going, yeah, he didn't really work all that hard. No, he did. He didn't save. No, he did. He didn't stay up late and get up early. No, he did all those things. He was incredibly shrewd. He bought the right field. He planted the right seed in the right seasons. He installed a radically new and innovative irrigation system that gave him an advantage over all the other farmers. He knew what kind of fertilizer to use. He was organic before there was organic, and he has the whole market. He's not saying this guy has done nothing, just like he doesn't deny any of our efforts. He's simply saying, look, ultimately, this man's crop came from God who created the land into which it was planted and out of which it grew. And you know what? So does mine and so does yours. And you're like, nah, still not buying it. Okay, well, let's, let's do it this way. Do a little land survey with you, okay? All right, in creating the production of your crop, you ready for this? It was helpful to you. Indeed, it was a necessary prerequisite, I think I might even say, that you be alive. You'd have to agree with that. I mean, there's no wiggle room there. You needed to be alive to do it, and you can't claim credit for that, can you? How about your body? Did you use that? Did you do anything with that? Like, was that helpful? Well, uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, we'll just go yes on that one. Okay, all right. How about air? You breathe. Is air helpful? It facilitates quite a bit, actually. Try going without it. Not now, but later. Really? Kind of helpful. Did you use your brain? Did you use your personality? Did you use your gifts? Did you use your talents? And you're like, well, oh, but I cultivated all of those things. I took that brain and I studied and I, I've tempered my personality. I'm a little more relational on the phone than you, Tom. I'm not going to lie. I, 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 I developed those gifts and abilities and I went to all kinds of seminars and I was mentored and I did this and I did that and I read all kinds of books. Well, hallelujah, you cultivated your field. Without the field, how much do you have in terms of your crop? I'm going zero. There's no way around it. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. When Jesus says that, he speaks rightly of that man, of me, and of you, and of everybody else. But here's the problem. Like us, the rich man doesn't get that. He thinks he produced it. We'll see that in a second. And therefore, now follow the logic, he thinks he owns it, and therefore, he thinks he can do whatever he wants with it. But what if he's wrong? What if God produced it and God owns it? 
Well, he doesn't think that. And we know that he doesn't think that. And notice how we know that he doesn't think that. Because Jesus then goes on and says that he did what, sorry, but most of us do. He thought to himself. You know what that means? He took counsel, but only with himself. So even though the land of the rich man produced plentifully, and therefore the crop belongs to the Lord ultimately, he doesn't consult with the Lord. He just consults with himself because he thinks he's done it, and it's his, and he can do whatever he wants with it. Oh, and by the way, even though the land that God gave to him produced a God-given crop that was so huge that this guy not only could take care of the needs, needs, needs is an interesting word, of himself and of his family, but could feed a village in addition to that, he doesn't think about anyone else either. He thinks only of himself, and now watch the personal pronouns. What shall I do, he says, as he's taking counsel with himself, for I have nowhere to store, uh uh-oh, my crops. So there it is. And then after consulting only with himself, he comes up with a plan and he announces it. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. You ready? Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Just stop there for a second. Here's why this is such a powerful story. Because until you read the next line, every one of us wants to be that guy. That's it. It's the goal. What? He wrote a book? I'm buying it. He's a seminar. He's coming to town. Honey, cancel our plans. We're going to this. What do we call a man like that? He's successful. He's made it. And he has. We look at ourselves and say, man, that's exactly where I want to get someday. Who is this guy? Does Tom have his phone number? I'd like to call that guy up. What did you do, man? When did you plant? How did you, you know, what's the secret? I don't think there's anything wrong with reading this guy's book or going to his seminar to figure out how to maximize the production of our crop, whatever that crop may be. The question is, why do we want to do it? What's the goal or the purpose of the doing of that? Probably a lot to learn from this guy on how to get a big crop. But why do you want it? This guy says, well, it's all mine. It's a problem. And I'm going to store it all up for myself so that I can relax and eat and drink and be merry. So we call him successful in all kinds of other exemplary titles, but God said to him, fool, which is like the total opposite end of the spectrum. But why does God call him a fool? Because he's a shrewd businessman? No, because he worked hard and got up early and stayed up. No, because he was wise enough to figure out what kind of irrigation. No, come on, that's not it. Because he created a solid investment plan by which he established financial security for himself and for his family going forward. No, no. That's not it. Oh, I know, Tom, it's because he didn't give all his money away to the church. Is that why God called him a fool? No, that's not it either. He calls him a fool because he's trusting in money as opposed to God for the things that only God can give. Only God can make you secure in this life, and only God can make you secure in the next one. And this guy is so consumed with this day that he is given exactly no thought at all to the last one. So God said to him, 
fool this night. Your very soul is required of you, for that too is a gift, and that too is merely on loan. And the things you have prepared in this day with no thought at all about God and no thought at all about others and no thought at all about the last day, the things that you've prepared for yourself, quote-unquote, okay, well, whose will they be? Because here's what I know. They won't be yours. And then Jesus adds this. He says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself, meaning in this day, and is not rich toward God in this day, but in light of the last one. And you say, well, how do I do that? You know, I mean, how am I rich toward God in this day in light of the last one? By allowing the security that really and truly is yours in this day and in the last one, through faith in Jesus, who you are in Christ, son and daughter of the King, sheep of His sheepfold, His citizens, His subjects, allowing that to free you from your insatiable need to accumulate more, lest you need more or more or more or more because you're hoping to find your security in that or you're hoping to find your identity in that or you're hoping to find your significance in that. It just keeps blowing up. Trusting God to give you when only He can be trusted to give you. And here's what that allows you to do. It allows you to stop and examine your heart honestly and say, all right, what is responsible? Because I'm in a bigger barn building campaign situation type of deal, you know? So, like, do I need to do that? Is that right? What's right? Lord, it's yours, so how do we work this through together? And you can use your wealth today, as you'll see here in a moment, to store up wealth that actually you get for forever as opposed to leave behind. Jesus lays out this economy. He's saying, oh, live today, down here, in light of that day? And he calls us to a whole different layer and level of generosity, an uncomfortable level of generosity, unless we're secure in something other than what we can accumulate. And so then to further encourage us to that end, Jesus now speaks of our this-day security, but he does, in fact, speak of it in terms of need. So Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. You know, like this guy that just interrupted me. (laughs) Do not be anxious about your life and not even about the most fundamental needs of this life. What you will eat nor about your body, what you will put on for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, he says. He's pointing at the birds. He says they neither sow nor reap. They don't even work, he's saying. He certainly isn't encouraging us not to work. But the point is they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life if you then are not able to do as small a thing as that? Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. Now he's pointing at flowers. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They don't create their own garments. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is dead and is thrown into the oven to be burned up, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And faith is the issue. And do not seek 
what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world. Who is he calling into mind there? He's calling into mind those who do not have that relationship with the Heavenly Father. Faithless, he's saying. He says, all the nations of the world, those guys, seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, he says, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, you're his sheep. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So like, what else will he withhold from you? And in the security of that position in Jesus, in this day, with real needs, and in that one to come. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy on this day, and then what will happen? Then through your generosity on this day and this life, you will provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure where? In heaven that does not fail like the treasures here, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, and you don't leave it behind when you die and enter into eternity, you gain it. That's the point. And then he closes with this. He says, for where your treasure is, meaning down here on this earth, this is the kingdom I'm living for. This is the treasure that I care about. It's this day stuff. Or you know what? I'm living this day in order to accrue treasure up here in heaven. This day, that day. Where your treasure is, there will your heart, which Jesus has told us to guard with vigilance, be also. And it's the heart guys that he wants. So following Jesus means learning how to live today in light of that great and final day, and even when that costs you your money. But here's what that requires us to do. It requires us to learn to trust God as opposed to money for the security that we really, really do need in this life and in the next. So I want to close today by asking you some questions. It's sort of like a this day, that day money test. Not going to grade the papers. Keep your score to yourself. But do interact with it. Question number one, what drives your desire for more and then 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 more and then... Because it will destroy you. It's a very destructive force. It enslaves and entraps. And listen, the gospel is that Jesus entered into this world to live, to suffer, to die, to be buried, to be raised again from the dead, to give to you the security of relationship in God that is real and practical so that in this day, you don't need to be driven like that. You don't need to feel insecure. Number two, who or what are you ambitious for? Is it Jesus? Is it you? Is it his kingdom? Is it your kingdom? Work that through. That's vigilance. That's guarding your heart. Number three, have you made it your goal to become like the rich man in the story? Now, be honest. He's got a sweet deal, doesn't he? Or does he? Number four, who, in your opinion, has produced and thus owns your crop? And here's a major clue. Whom, if anyone, do you consult? in deciding what to do with it. Lastly, are you rich toward God in this life? Because again, that's one of the ways of storing up treasure in heaven where your treasure is there, your heart will be. Are you, are these the kind of messages that are like, oh man, if I'd have known, you know, like Mason got up and 
talked about it and went, oh, crud, here we go. It's a bummer. It ought not to be our response. Generosity is an opportunity. That's how Jesus sees it. And he's the God of heaven and earth. He's the this day and the last day God. And he speaks throughout his word all about it. He does. Do you tithe? Do you give to the poor? Do you create space in your life financially to make investments in your heavenly bank account? It's an interesting challenge. But that's what it looks like, those kinds of things, to live this day in light of that day with our dollars and cents. And again, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And guys, that's the part of you that Jesus wants. He wants your heart. So think on those things. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that uh, you are a generous God. Lord, we thank you that we gather together to worship a Savior who forsook the riches of heaven. Lord, we cannot even imagine that with all of its comforts, with all of its joys, with all of its service, with all of its glory, to enter into this humanity as one of us, to condescend to become a man and a peasant, slave of the Roman Empire, a Galilean Jew, looked down upon even by his own brethren. He emptied himself utterly and completely that we who are poor might be made rich in him. Lord, he is the greatest example of generosity. Father, I pray that you would touch our hearts with this message. I pray, Lord, that your word would would open up avenues of conversation and understanding. Lord, that we would be willing to have conversations with you about this topic too. God, that we might live this day for that one, that the world might see that you are God, not that. Lord, that your kingdom might go forward. In us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.